Amen. And would you continue standing if you're able to and turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter six. Uh, John chapter six will begin reading in verse 60. And um, that song we just sang is based off of this text. And um, as you'll see, uh, where else can we go? Lord, you have the words of eternal life. That's uh, what Peter says here. And so I love this text. I love this song. And, and if you've been here long enough, you realize that I pray this prayer at the end. I usually butcher the lyrics in one way or another, but I get the gist of that prayer there that God's glory would be revealed through the preaching of his word so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. So John 6, uh, verse 60 is where we'll begin. And just to give you a bit of an update of where we're going after this, I plan to finish John 6, Lord willing, today. And then next week we'll begin a series on uh, 2 Timothy, Paul's uh, final letter that he wrote in the New Testament. So uh, John 6, uh, verse 60 is where we'll begin today. And so uh, then next week we'll be in 2 Timothy 1 and go through uh, Paul's letter there at 2 Timothy. So, uh, but let's, let's finish up chapter 6 today. God's word says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father, unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's, uh, let's pray. Holy Father, as we come to your word this morning, Father, we thank you that these words point us to eternal life. They point us to eternal life that's found in your son, Jesus Christ, alone. Father, I pray that you would strengthen the faith of those here who believe, today, and for those who have not come to see Christ for who he is, that they would not walk out of here this morning without having confessed that they have come to know and see and believe in Jesus for who he is, that they would be his true disciples, his true followers to the end of their days. Father, I pray that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, growing up and going to school, one of the, the my least favorite forms of tests were true and false tests. I, I am a pretty good guesser when it comes to multiple choice. But what I hated about uh, or, or disliked about true-false tests is you either got it fully right or fully wrong, right? And uh, there, there are times where I felt like I could at least get a partial answer a, a, a correct 
or or get a, get, get get partial credit for an answer and defend the reason why I did it. But in true false, it's either you're either completely right or you're completely wrong. There's there's not any go between. And often professors would try to trick you, right? And uh, they put like double negatives in there. At least some of my professors, I felt like they really t- took a, a great liberties to try and trap their students. And uh, and I hated those types of tests. But but here in this text this morning, what we see is sort of a true false test. We're we're given a test for someone who is a true follower of Jesus, and who is a false follower. Uh, This text this morning, we're going to look and see that there is a true and false test for believers, for true disciples, true followers of Jesus. And what we're ultimately going to see is that a true disciple is one who knows who Jesus is and believes who Jesus is, that he is their sinless savior and they follow him to the end. So ultimately, this text is going to show us this true false test Am I a true follower of Jesus, a true disciple of Jesus, or am I or am I a false disciple? A true follower is one who knows, believes, and follows Jesus to the very end. And, and what this text shows us is that there are going to be some who follow Jesus. They followed him for a while, but eventually they leave, revealing that they are not true disciples. They are not true followers of Jesus. They were just false disciples. If you remember last week in, in this chapter, uh, the, we said that, that sometimes the, Jesus has these hard sayings because of what they require of us. But sometimes they're hard sayings because they can be somewhat difficult to understand. And you remember back in verses 53 and 54 of chapter 6 here, it, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you can have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, we dove into that a little bit last week, and we saw that Jesus wasn't calling us to a form of spiritual cannibalism, right? Of religious cannibalism. No, no, no. Jesus was not saying that we need to be cannibals to be truly saved. No, what he was doing was he was using the physical items of eating and drinking to explain these spiritual realities. He was saying that unless you truly trust in who I am, the sinless son of God, and believe in what I have done, that my blood has been shed for your sins, then you do not have eternal life. He's saying that unless you trust and believe in me, unless you trust and believe in in his death on your behalf, that he alone can save you, unless you believe in him, then you do not have eternal life. And so some of his followers had misunderstood this, and they thought it was a hard saying, as we see in verses 60 and 61. They say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But then Jesus, knowing in himself, verse 61, that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? So they thought this was a hard saying. And Jesus knew what they were talking about. And so he asks, do you take offense at this? Do you take offense at saying that you must eat and drink in order to be saved? He's saying, look, if you take offense at that, then verse 62, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? 
Now, in the Gospel of John, we, we've seen this word ascending happen a couple of times or being lifted up a couple of times. And, and there's often two things that, that Jesus is referring to when he talks about his ascension. First of all, he's talking about his ascension to heaven, where he will go back to sit at the right hand of God the Father, ruling and reigning over all. But it also, this ascension entails a sort of, uh, uh, of him being lifted up on the cross. In other words, I think what Jesus is sort of referring to here is the offense of the cross. And what Jesus is saying is that, that if you think that this saying about eating and drinking is offensive, that is nothing compared to the offense of the cross, compared to the offense of a crucified Messiah. Remember that these followers were likely thinking that Jesus was a man who was coming to, to overthrow the, the oppressive Roman government, that he was going to deliver them, that he was going to be this sort of earthly king. And Jesus is saying, if the disciples find those sayings offensive, what will they think when they see their king crucified? When they see their savior, the Messiah, nailed to a blood-soaked cross? However offensive his saying about eating and drinking blood may be, it was nothing compared to a crucified and dying Savior. The very idea of that was incredibly outrageous to them. For the Jews, it was borderline uh, blasphemy to talk about the Messiah, their Savior, God himself, suffering and dying, being crucified on a cross. But this very idea of a crucified Messiah is what Paul talks about into the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1, 23. Paul writes there and he says that the cross, the fact that our Savior would suffer and die is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. So we see that same sort of thing happening here, right? This was a stumbling block for them. What do you mean the Messiah, our Savior, is going to die? He's not going to die. He's not going to go to the cross and suffer. But they were offended and they turned their backs upon him. Friends, is this idea of a crucified Messiah a stumbling block for you? Do you think it is foolishness? There are many who say it is. Maybe even many and some of your friends. Friends, is this a hard saying for you? That Jesus would suffer and die. Do you find that offensive? Do you take offense at this. Jesus goes on and he explains in verse 63, he says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. In other words, what we're seeing here, what we're seeing Jesus explain here is that true life, eternal life, is this salvation from our sins is not something we can accomplish on our own. What we see here is that we are completely incapable of saving ourselves. And what he's explaining is it's only by the grace of God through the Spirit working in our lives that we come to God. We can't save ourselves, thus we need a Savior. And, and, and he, he knows, he still knows that, that in spite of this, verse 64, there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who was going to betray him. 
He knew who his true followers were, and he knew who the false followers were. He knew the true disciples from the false disciples. I wonder if there are any here this morning who are false followers of Jesus, who do not believe in him. Maybe you're here this morning and you are trying to save yourself on your own. Friends, it's only God, it's only only Christ who can save you. That's what Jesus is showing us here. When he says it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. He's showing us that we are completely incapable of saving ourselves. We must look to him in faith to save us. And then he he goes on in verse 65 and he explains, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. Friends, we dare not think that salvation is something that we have done. We dare not think that we can save ourselves. We dare not think that our faith uh, in ourselves can save us. No, no, no. Faith in Christ is a gift from God, and that faith alone in Christ can save. Friends, knowing that we have contributed nothing to our salvation should cause us all the more to be grateful for what God has done for saving us. Right? Think about that. We have contributed nothing to our salvation. I've heard pastors say the only thing we contribute to our salvation is what? Sin, right? That's the only thing we contribute. We contribute nothing to our salvation. That should cause us all the more to be grateful to the Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done on our behalf. But this saying is too hard for them. They were offended by what he was saying. And so they turned their backs Verse 66, we see after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now, there are all sorts of reasons for following Jesus. Especially think about all of the reasons why people were following Jesus in his day. What, 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 what did he do? Why were they following Jesus? Think about it. They had seen his power to heal. They had bellies that was that, that were full of food because of his miraculous provision. They had thought this was the one who had the power to overthrow Rome. And so these who turned away, these false disciples who turned away, they were following Jesus for the wrong reasons. They were not following Jesus. They were following Jesus not because they they knew and believed and trusted in him. They were not following Jesus because they believed that he was the eternal and sinless son of God who came to save them from their sins, from their greatest need. They were following Jesus because of the gifts they thought they could get from him. Their their physical needs were being met. And then they turned their backs on Jesus and they leave. So they were not true followers of Jesus. They wanted miracles, they wanted full stomachs, and they wanted power. In other words, we could say that they believed a false gospel. They believed a false good news about Christ. And this same sort of false gospel is preached in various ways all over the world today. In fact, it's creeped into many churches as well here in the United States. It's creeped into the church today and preached by men like Joel Osteen and women like Joyce Meyer. 
Listen to this quote from Joel Osteen. Listen to this false reason, this false gospel that he says for following God. Listen to what Joel Osteen says. He says, God has already done everything he's going to do. The ball is now in your your court. If you want success, if you want wisdom, if you want to be prosperous and healthy, you're going to have to do more than meditate and believe. You must boldly declare words of faith and victory over yourself and your family. What a false gospel. He says, if you want to be prosperous and healthy, you need to declare that over you, your family. That is a false gospel. That is a false reason for following after Jesus. It's crazy that he says you have to do more than than believe. That is utterly ridiculous, right? That is a false reason for following Jesus. We don't follow Jesus because we want him to make us prosperous and healthy. No, no, no. We follow him because he is our sinless savior, the only one who can save. Listen to this quote from Joyce Meyer. She said, God never meant for us to strive and struggle. What a false gospel that is. They teach and believe that God is going to give you your best life now. Quite a contrast to what Jesus has been saying here, right? Quite a contrast to the life, uh, a cross-centered life and self-denying discipleship that Jesus often speaks about. In fact, in in John 15, uh, 19 and 20, Jesus says, look, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Paul says that all who desire to live a godly life will be what? Persecuted. That's a complete false gospel compared to what is actually in the scriptures, right? They are following Jesus for what they think he can provide them in this world. For the wrong reasons. They're following him for the gifts, not because of who he truly is. Friends, are you following Jesus for a false reason? Are you following him because he is truly the only one who can save you from your sins? Listen to what C.S. Lewis says about the trials and hardships that we face in this world. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Again, quite a quite a contrast, right? Between true discipleship, a life of cross-centered, self-denying discipleship, and simply just following Jesus because you think he's going to make you happy, healthy, and blessed. So these false disciples, they're not following Jesus because they thought and believed that Jesus was the bread of life. They were following him because they thought their greatest need in life was bread. So you do not follow Jesus to get earthly things from him, like money and success, a life without struggles. No, no, you follow Jesus because you realize that true life, eternal life, is found in his perfect life, death, and resurrection on your behalf. So what was one of the marks of these false disciples? They were following Jesus for the wrong reasons. They were following him because they thought what they could get from him. Provision, life, a a blessed life, power, miraculous intake, a miraculous provision of foods. They were following him for the wrong reasons. And so once they realized that's not what they were going to get, they turned their backs on him. And we see as as this is happening in verse 66, is. They're no longer going to walk with him. Jesus turns to his 12. 
And he asks him, do you want to go away as well? He says to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Friends here this morning, are you tempted to go away as well? Are you tempted to turn your back on the one true God? The desires of this world are are, are bidding you to come. This world is luring you to, to come and tempting you to leave and turn your back upon Jesus. And the pull of this world is incredibly strong. Are you tempted to leave? Are, are you tempted to give in? Maybe, maybe some of your friends are, are, are going to leave. Maybe you've already seen them leave. Maybe you've already witnessed them turn their backs on Christ. And they've embraced the temptations and the pleasures of this world. You know, why is it that we often hear about so many people who leave the church today? Why do we hear all of these studies about the decline of the church in the United States? You know, they're leaving in droves and great numbers. Why? I'll be honest. No doubt some of them, you know, if not many, have been genuinely wronged and hurt by professing Christians. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about truly false disciples. They have not followed Jesus because they have not truly come to realize that life, to live life to the fullest, is not a life that you live for yourself and your own desires. What does that get you in this world? Momentary pleasures that will leave you broken. They have not realized that if you live for yourself, you will ultimately lose it. As you remember, we read last week in Matthew 16, 25, for whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Or if you remember, as we went through the book of Philippians a couple of years ago, when we were meeting outside in the heat, Paul said what? To live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ. Not, not, not to live is, is life for yourself. No, no, truly living is not found in fame. It's not found in riches. It's not found in the comforts of home or the comforts of this world. Truly living life is living for something or someone that is far greater than yourself. That's living for Christ, as Paul mentions. So friends, where are those? Where are those who will turn their backs on the things of this world and not give in? Who will not embrace the empty promises of wealth, of sexual immorality, or of fame? Will you give in to those temptations? Or will you stand firm, planted in the grace of God? To live is Christ and to die is gain. But friends, if you're not living for Christ right now, then dying will not be gain. Right? If you're not living for Jesus now, if you don't trust in Him as your Lord and Savior, then dying will not be gain for you. Are you afraid of dying? I think there is something inside of all of us in one sense that we are afraid of death, right? But it seems like the core of of why so many people are afraid of dying is because they don't think and they don't know that it will actually be gain. They have not treasured Christ in this life, thus they will not treasure Christ in eternity. Dying is not gain if you do not know who Jesus is. Dying is not gain if you are not a true follower of Jesus. So are you a true follower of Jesus? 
Are you following him for the wrong reasons? Or are you following him for the only one right reason? Because he is your Savior and he is your Lord. If so, then living is for Christ and dying is actually gain. So where are the ones who are willing to lay down their lives for the cause of something far greater than their own desires? Friends, the world is bidding you to come. The world is bidding you to go and live for yourself and to live for nothing and no one other than your own desires. But may the words that Jesus speaks here in John 6 pierce your heart and kill any desire of yours to go and live for yourself. Listen to what Jesus says. In John chapter 6, verse 40. He says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Skip down to verse 47. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Friends, have you believed? Do you have eternal life? Jesus's question to you this morning is, do you want to go away as well? Now, that's an interesting question that Jesus asked, right? He says, do you want to go away as well? But Jesus isn't asking this question because he, he, he was worried uh, about himself. He isn't asking this question because he needs some sort of reassurance from his disciples. He's not asking this question for his own sake, but for them. Because as we've already seen, Jesus knows who are his true disciples, right? In John six thirty nine. He says, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise him up on the last day. Jesus knows who his true disciples are. This question that Jesus asked, do you want to go away as well? This question was for the benefit of his disciples. In other words, he's giving them an opportunity to, to commit again, to recommit to following him. And look at the commitment that Peter makes. Look at this confession that Peter makes in verse 68. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What an amazing confession. He says, we can't go anywhere else, Lord. You have the words of eternal life. Life is found in Jesus Christ alone. And then he goes on to say, look, we we have come to know who you are. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's an important title. The Holy One. The Holy One of God. It's an allusion often to the, likely to the book of Isaiah. If you remember at the beginning of service today, I read from Isaiah. And there we see God declare of himself that he is what? That he is the Holy One. Throughout the, the, the Old Testament and in particular Isaiah, God is holiness is often referred to in Isaiah six. Isaiah is given a glimpse of God's holiness, a glimpse of God's throne where you have uh, the, the angels around the throne crying out that God is holy, holy, holy. Uh, the, the whole earth is full of his glory. And then 25 times throughout the book of Isaiah, God is described as the holy one. We saw two of those that I read from Isaiah 43. It's a clear reference here 
to Jesus's divinity, to the fact that Jesus is God, showing that, look, uh, uh, Peter is saying, Jesus, we know that you are not just a mere man. We believe that you are God, God who has come in the flesh. And, And so Jesus is not just a mere man, but he is God in the flesh. And here he takes one of the most important names of God for himself. You know, it's often said by skeptics of Christianity that Jesus never claims to be divine. They just haven't read the Bible close enough. They haven't read the Gospels close enough. Here is a clear allusion to the fact Jesus is not just a man, but he is divine. He is God himself. And so, friends, do you agree with Peter? Do you agree with him? Can you say with Peter, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life that you have believed and that you have come to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. That only Christ has the words of eternal life. Friends, here Peter shows us that true disciples of Jesus know that Jesus is God and that He alone possesses the words of eternal life. And not just that we know this, but that we believe and trust in him as well. We have to trust in Christ. Remember, we talked about last week that thinking about food is different than eating food, right? That knowing facts about food is different than eating. And and thinking and contemplating who Jesus is is different than actually placing your faith in him. Simply knowing facts about Jesus is different than placing your faith and trust in Christ to save. So a true disciple is someone who doesn't just know facts about Jesus, but who truly knows and trusts in him. Believes that Jesus possesses the words of eternal life and follows him to the end. So a true disciple is one who knows, who believes, and follows Jesus to the end. Is that you? To whom will you go? The world is calling. The, the, the desires and sins and temptations of this world are incredibly strong. The call is to make a, as much money as you can and you'll be happy. The call of the world is, is to have as many relationships as possible and then you'll be happy. The call of this world is to live a happy and comfortable life. Friends, the pull of the world, the call of the world is strong. But the hand of God and the voice of Christ is far stronger. To whom will you go? Listen to these words of Jim Elliott. He was a, he was a man who was a missionary. He died as a missionary in the Amazon rainforest trying to reach a tribe who had never heard of who Christ was. Listen to these words. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In other words, friends, what we have in this world is only temporary. No matter how much money you have in your bank account, no matter how much pleasure you think you can get from this world, it will only be for a moment that is but a miss. And we cannot keep it for eternity. To live is Christ and to die is gain. 
So to whom will you go? What call will you answer? The call of the world or the call of Christ? It is only Christ who has eternal life. Only by trusting in his perfect life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection that you will be able to be saved from the punishment of your sins. So friends, they went away. These false disciples went away because they had failed that test of true discipleship. They had not come to know and believe who Jesus truly was. But what about you? To whom will you go? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now this morning. And Lord, we thank you for these words that you have given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through the work of the Spirit. So that we could come to know and trust and believe that Jesus is the Holy One. That Jesus is the only one who can save us from our sins. Father, I pray that if there are any here today who have not come to trust in Christ, that they would do so today. They would not leave here without declaring that they know and believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He alone possesses the words of eternal life. Father, if there are any here today who are tempted to go, they are feeling the the, the, the pressures and the desires of the world to turn their backs upon Christ, Lord, that You would Help them to hear your voice, calling them to repentance, calling them to faith in your son. Father, for those who are trusting in Jesus, may they continue to live faithfully for him. That they would continue to live for him as his disciples. And that they would seek to make disciples as well. And share this good news of Jesus Christ. Where else can we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you uh